What is happening, New York Rangers fans? And welcome to episode 70 of the New Ice City podcast. We're hitting a bit of a milestone on this episode, which also happens to be the final episode before the NHL playoffs will begin. By the time we speak again, either game one or game two after one of those, I'm not sure which. It's going to depend on the schedule and whether the Rangers start on Monday or Tuesday, but there will be at least one game of the playoffs finished by the time that we talk again. This is, in fact, the final episode before the playoffs begin, so we're going to get into previewing the playoffs, talking about what to expect from the Rangers, talking about the keys for them to have success in the postseason Our guest this week is going to be Dave Maloney, former captain of the Rangers. Many of you now know him either as one of the voices who you hear on radio broadcasts for the game, also an analyst for the MSG Network. So Dave spent quite a bit of time with me this morning to discuss the Rangers, the season they've had, and look ahead to the playoffs. So fun conversation with him coming up in just a little while. I am recording this show prior to the Wednesday game against Montreal. The reason we decided to record today is because after Tuesday night's loss to Carolina, the Rangers are locked into second place. These last two games really don't have a whole lot of meaning as far as the standings are concerned. So we pretty much know what the deal is for the Rangers. They're going to finish second place in the Metro Division, and we are very much now looking forward and looking ahead to the first round of the playoffs, which again will start on either Monday or Tuesday next week. The only question for the Rangers remaining is who their opponent will be. We can rule out Boston. We can rule out Tampa. It's going to be either Pittsburgh or Washington. Those two teams are jockeying for positioning right now. At the time of this recording, Pittsburgh has a one-point lead on the Capitals, but the Capitals have a game in hand. The Capitals have two games remaining to play, while the Penguins only have one. The odds are slightly in favor of the Capitals to finish in third place, which would make them the Rangers' opponent, but the odds really don't mean much if they don't take care of their own business. And they had an opportunity on Tuesday night to move ahead of Pittsburgh had they been able to beat the Islanders, but the Islanders really took it to them. I think it was 4-1 to or 5-1 to was the final score, so... Missed opportunity for the Capitals. Meanwhile, the Penguins are floundering as well. They've lost two in a row, also lost to the Flyers over the weekend. So neither one of those teams feel like they're in really good shape going into the playoffs. The Penguins have stumbled a bit here. Tristan Jari, their starting goalie, has been out hurt. They've been playing Casey DeSmith, their backup. And I think even if they had Jari, Pittsburgh felt like a team with a goaltending situation that would be favorable for the opponent because as good as Jari has been for stretches for them this season, he collapsed in the playoffs last season. So that's kind of hanging over his head and hanging over the Penguins' head going into the playoffs. So you kind of feel pretty good if you're the Rangers about going against a team that has question marks in net. And then the Capitals, on the other hand, Alex Ovechkin was out for that Tuesday night game against the Islanders. It doesn't sound too serious, this injury that he's dealing with, but a little banged up the Caps right now. And again, they missed an opportunity. They could have passed Pittsburgh had they won on Tuesday night, but now they're one point back. I believe the Capitals are playing, I don't have the schedule in front of me, they're playing either Wednesday or Thursday. It might be tonight. 
So by the time this recording comes out, the Capitals may have, in fact, passed Pittsburgh for that third place spot. But again, even though the odds are slightly in their favor because they have the one game in hand, they've got to win at least one of these final two games to even have a shot at moving past Pittsburgh. And their final game will occur against the Rangers at Madison Square Garden on Friday. And it will be really, really interesting if it comes down to a situation where the Rangers have nothing to play for. But if they beat the Capitals, they would have to play the Penguins. Or if the Capitals win, they'd have to play the Capitals. It might not be that situation, but it could be. And then I think it's going to be really interesting from a Rangers perspective about how do you play that game. We're going to talk about rest and and who might get nights off and that sort of thing in these next couple of games. That's definitely been a topic of conversation in, in the last 24 hours. But if you're thinking about it strictly from the perspective of which team would you rather play, we've talked about this before on prior episodes. I did not want, if I'm the Rangers, anything to do with Tampa Bay. So you're very grateful that you don't have to play the two-time defending champions and Andre Vasilevsky in the first round. And then the other three teams they were looking at, Pittsburgh, Washington, and Boston, quite frankly, I think Boston was the team that scared me the most of those three. So I think you're also feeling a little bit of relief about not having to play the Bruins. The Rangers just lost to the Bruins in Boston on Saturday. I think the Bruins have a little bit more of a stable goaltending situation. The the Bruins definitely have some firepower that we know about in that lineup. I don't think I necessarily would have picked the Bruins to win a series against the Rangers, but I would have looked at it like a toss-up. Whereas if the Rangers play the Penguins or if the Rangers play the Capitals, I'm giving the Rangers the edge. At least on paper, at least as far as a prediction would go, I think I would lean toward the Rangers in either one of those series. Do you prefer one opponent over the other now between these final two teams? For me, again, I think it's Pittsburgh. We talked about the goaltending situation for them and how shaky that is, especially with the injury right now to Jari, but also because of the fact that we've seen the Rangers really hold up well against them in their regular season meetings. They've won the last three in a row. They've been in control pretty much for each of those three games. The Penguins, yes, they have star power, but it's aging star power with Crosby and Malkin and To me, it's just a good matchup for the Rangers. So I think if you are picking your ideal opponent right now, it's probably Pittsburgh. Washington, I also think you feel pretty good about your chances in that series, but we've seen the Capitals give the Rangers trouble in the past. We know about all the drama with Tom Wilson, and I'm sure that stuff will get overplayed if that does end up being the matchup. But the Capitals scare me slightly more, I'd say, than the Penguins. Again, I'd probably pick the Rangers in either series, but... I would rank the Penguins at this moment as the more favorable opponent if I'm making my choice. And I wonder if the Rangers feel the same way. And I wonder if that will play into how much effort they give on Friday night. I kind of doubt that they're going to put anybody in jeopardy given what we've seen just because they're preferring one opponent over the other. I also doubt that they really want to get into any sort of chippiness or, or taking things too far against the Capitals on Friday night because you want to make sure that all of your guys are healthy. But the Rangers are are in a good spot. I think as much as the division banner hanging from the rafters would have looked good for them, this second place finish, I think, is probably, if we're being honest, a better spot for them. Because 
as good as the Rangers have been this season and for as much talent as we feel like they have and as much as we feel like they might be a favorite in this first round series, this is still a young team that has not been here as a group before. They have a few veteran guys that they brought in and Goudreau and Reeves and we know that Truba and Kopp and Panarin and Kreider, you know, these there are some guys of playoff experience on this roster, but they've never really all done this together. They're still relying on a lot of young players, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller, Alexi Lafreniere, Capo Caco, Philip Heedle, go on down the line, Igor Shesterkin even, who have not been here before. So I think for the Rangers' best chances of going on a run, you want the more favorable opponent in the first round. Of course, as Gallant has pointed out many times, if you're going to go all the way to the Stanley Cup, you're going to have to play the best teams on your way there. But I worry a little bit with this team about could things snowball quickly if the series doesn't get off to a good start? And you feel like they have a better chance of the series getting off to a good start against Pittsburgh or Washington than you would if they were playing Boston or Tampa. Gallant put it this way the other day, which I thought was an interesting point to make. Home ice advantage is great, especially if you get down to a game seven situation. But if you have home ice, the pressure is on you to win those early games. If you lose game one, all of a sudden, the microscope is on you. You're down 0-1. You you had the advantage of starting the series in your own building, and now you've flipped it. Whichever team gets a road win always all of a sudden feels like they have the upper hand in the series. So for the Rangers, you got to win at least one of those first two games in your building, of course. But losing game one, I think, could be a little bit of a scary situation for them because then the question becomes, how do you respond? Then people all all of a sudden start looking back to the bubble in 2020 when the Rangers didn't start off well against the Hurricanes and the next thing you knew, they were knocked out. So you want to see this team have a game that they can feel good about in game one. Even if they don't win it, it's got to be a good competitive game because you don't want that doubt to start creeping in. And while it's helpful to start in your own building, I think Gallant made a good point about also that adding more pressure because, again, you lose one of those home games and I think it's a little more difficult to swallow than it is if you lose a game on the road in the playoffs. So for all these reasons... You are probably happy if you're a Rangers fan about starting off against a team like the Penguins or the Capitals versus some of the more difficult opponents that it could have been had they finished in first place. Now, there are still two games to play in this regular season, and how the Rangers manage these two games is going to be interesting. Those of you who watched on Tuesday night, which I'm sure many of you did, or even if you didn't watch, I'm sure you heard, The Rangers had a couple more injury scares in that game. Artemi Panarin, at the end of the first period, I saw him getting some kind of, I don't know if it was a heating pad or something on his lower back. He came out to start the second period, but only played two shifts in the period, was out before the five-minute mark even hit, and then never returned to the game. The Rangers are calling it an upper body injury. And also, the Rangers lose Andrew Kopp again. They had him for last Thursday's game against the Islanders where he netted a natural hat trick in the first period, really his signature moment as a Ranger so far. But later on in that game, they end up losing him to a lower body injury, missed the following game, 
on Saturday against the Bruins, but returned quickly. He was on the ice for practice on Monday, which was a great sign. Everybody was excited to see that. And they got him right back in the lineup on Tuesday for the game against Carolina. Did they rush him back? Fair question. Absolutely. Because what happens against the Hurricanes? Cop ends up coming out of the game again, this time in the second period, once again with a lower body injury. I asked Gerard Gallant if it was related to the previous lower body injury. He said he wasn't sure. A fair guess is probably that it had something to do with it, but we don't want to assume or jump to any conclusions. But either way, seeing Cop go down again definitely had a chilling effect, uh, and especially seeing Panarin leave that game. That, that is, if not your most critical player in the playoffs, then one of your top two or three. So these are guys that the Rangers absolutely cannot afford to lose at this late stage. They also recently dealt with an injury to Philip Heedle. They've dealt with a couple injuries to Capo Caco, who now it sounds like will play on Wednesday, but the Rangers have taken a cautious approach with him. They did not play him on that Tuesday night game, which I think is the right call. And Gerard Gallant admitted after that game that while he's stressing and the Rangers are saying that the injuries to Panarin and Cop aren't serious, that because they know where they're locked in on the standings, that it's going to change the approach in these next couple games. And you can be sure that having these injury scares has also altered their thinking in that regard because we've heard a lot about wanting to keep winning, wanting to stay sharp. We know the players are very prideful and their preference is always going to be to play if you give them the option. But the smart thing for the Rangers to do in these final two games is make sure you don't take unnecessary risks. So we already know Wednesday night, Panarin and Cop are out. The Rangers recalled Zach Jones from Hartford. They also have extra forwards in McKaig and Gautier and Brodzinski. They have extra defensemen in Braun and Hayek. You're going to see all these guys play in the next couple days. Wednesday, you're definitely going to see Kopp and Panarin out and a few other regulars is what it sounds like. I would assume you're going to see Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren get a breather. Probably some of the other key forwards. We've talked about the four guys in Zabanajad, Kreider, Miller and Truba, who have a shot to play all 82. I do think that's meaningful to them. So it would kind of surprise me to see one of those four guys come out, unless there's some little ailment that they're dealing with, in which case it would be smart to rest them as well. But a lot of the other key players, absolutely, I think the Rangers are planning to rest now because this facade of chasing the division, not that it was a facade. Of course, I'm sure they would have loved to say, We won the division, but I never got the sense that it was a real top priority. The guys always talked about wanting to clinch a playoff spot. They talked about wanting home ice, but the division always seemed like more of a secondary concern, especially given all the stuff that we've talked about with opponents and and all that kind of stuff. So now that first place is out of reach, now that they have multiple guys who are banged up, the absolutely prudent, smart thing to do in these final two games is play it safe. Give Panarin a night off, give Kopp a night off, Fox, Lindgren, maybe Strom need one, maybe Goudreau needs one. Go on down the line. Whoever you think either is dealing with something minor as far as maybe a little injury or banged up in a certain area, bumps, bruises, whatever, or if a a guy just has tired legs and needs a breather, now is the time to do it because come next week, come Monday or Tuesday, you need everybody 
raring and ready to go and feeling as good as they possibly can given where they're at in the season and coming off an 82-game schedule. Number one priority is health. That's established, and I really felt like you felt the tide turn as far as what Gallant was saying to us on Tuesday, that, that acknowledging that that will be a focus in the next few days. The other thing that I think a lot of people are wondering about as we look at these last couple games and, and look ahead to the playoffs is what's going to happen with the lineup. And there's really only one, I think, question that is still sort of up in the air. We're going to see for the first time all season, they have never started a game together in this season. They did last season, but not this year. We're going to see the kid line of Lafreniere, Heedle, and Kako in that Wednesday night game. By the time this podcast comes out, you will have seen how they how they perform together. That will be very interesting and relevant information for the Rangers as they decide how to construct their lineup for the playoffs. You're also going to hear me talk to Dave about that in just a few minutes. But that remains the main, the main question right now. Is Gallant going to be comfortable with the kid line in a playoff setting? Or is he going to prefer Goudreau on that line with one of the kids either moving up or down to create a little more balance in the lineup. I think Dave raises a good point. You're here in the interview soon about maybe starting a certain way in games, but having the maneuverability to switch things up if you need to change the look or if you don't like the way that the game is going. I could definitely see that being the case. But other than that, there's really not a whole lot of question marks about this lineup. It looks like Nemeth is almost surely going to be the sixth defenseman on the bottom pair next to Braden Schneider. You know Igor is going to play every day. You know who the key guys are. A lot of the questions have been answered for the Rangers at this point. So relish this moment because next week is going to be filled with drama and emotions and ups and downs. And it's going to be a lot of craziness. It's going to be exciting, but I'm sure for you guys, it's going to be very nerve wracking as well. Relish the fact that you got here. The Rangers have 108 points. With two games left to play, I don't think anybody saw that coming. I predicted them to make the playoffs, but I thought maybe as like a wild card team, I did not see them vying for a division title and collecting this many points. I don't think many did. Definitely what they've accomplished to this point is something to be proud of. Now we get to see how far this team can go. And they need their key guys to show up. I I talked to you guys last week about my voting for the team MVP. I'm actually going to be releasing a story on loha.com slash sports slash rangers on Friday morning, I believe is going to be the plan that will actually rank my top 10 most valuable players for the Rangers this season. But my top three, which we talked about last week, I ended up going in this order with Igor, Kreider, and Panarin. I really had a tough time keeping Mika out of that top three, but it's a, it was it was a tough call. And I ended up settling on those guys. But you guys all know the other key names. Adam Fox, Jacob Truba, Ryan Strom. The Rangers need those guys to lead. They need those guys to show up. They need them to produce offense. They need them to lead defensively. And of course, Igor being the most important player, the team MVP, I think it's going to be a runaway as far as that voting is concerned. He's the guy that they're going to need first and foremost to come up big for them in this playoffs if they're going to go on a run. And and we'll find out. Do they have what it takes? Is this the first step? And this team's going to get some playoff experience this year, and then they'll build and and get better for playoff runs in years to come? Or are they ready now? That is the question. We're going to get some answers pretty soon. I'm excited to find out. I'm sure you guys are as well. 
but we're not going to have any answers today. So for now, let's look ahead to the playoffs. Let's preview the playoffs and have a little fun with Dave Maloney. And then I'll be back after that interview to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome into the show a former New York Rangers defenseman and captain. Many of you probably know him currently from the MSG Network as an analyst, also one of the radio voices of the Rangers, and that would be Dave Maloney. So, Dave, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on, Vince. Uh, things are well. I mean, knock on wood, uh, um, COVID hasn't been, a, you know, it's been a, a part of our lives like everyone else for the last couple of years, but um, uh, knock on wood, everyone's healthy, uh, family's all healthy, and uh, the Rangers are in the playoffs, and I often, when they were there, they were in the playoffs, like, thanks to Hank, 12 of my first 13 years in this job, so I thought it was like, this is going to be a normal event, right, and I used to go around to the guys before, when we used to visit in the locker room, and say, listen, I'm really happy you guys are in the playoffs and stuff, I'm even more happy because I get paid bonus money when you're in the playoffs. So <laughs> get down to the brass tacks here. <laughs> oh, man, I got to talk to my boss. I got to negotiate something like that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So it's all good. It's uh, like a lot of times, you know, the playoffs used to come around really when the Masters was being played. Baseball was opening. Spring was um, spring was coming around the corner. So you knew that there was some light at the end of the tunnel. And that's still basically the case. It's a little bit later this year, but uh you know, congrats to the league and all the participants that they pulled it off through thick and thin. And here's to hoping that we have ha- uh, have an exciting playoff. It'll be great. And, and the golf will be waiting when it's all said and done. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you will be earning that extra money, too. I, I should mention this, that MSG will be airing every first round game for the Rangers in the playoffs beginning next week. They're also going to have half-hour pregame shows and expanded hour-long post-game shows. So going to be a lot of stuff for you guys to watch, going to be a lot of stuff for you guys to read. We're all gearing up for it, very excited for it. But they do have two more regular season games to play. We're recording this on Wednesday prior to the game against the Montreal Canadiens. And and Dave, this is kind of an off-the-wall question, but I want to start here because it was a topic of conversation last night after the Rangers lost to Carolina. And I really would like to hear your perspective as a former player, because I I look around at whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, when when teams clinch a playoff spot, it's fairly commonplace for their key guys to rest for a little bit before the playoffs start. In the NHL, that doesn't seem to happen as frequently. And and the Rangers have been clinched for a while now. Now, they still had a chance for first place. They've been eliminated. We know they're locked in for second place now as a player. If a coach came to you with two games left and said, you know, I want you to have a night off or I think you could use a breather here. I mean, is that something that you think players don't like because they take so much pride in being on the ice every night? Or do you think that that is a wise move with the playoffs so close, especially given some of the injury scares that we've seen recently? Well, you know, it it is an interesting um, topic of debate or discussion, I suppose. I, I, I think. I think there's a little bit difference in generations. Certainly when I played, um, I'm not sure anyone was ever asked if they wanted a day off. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I, I would think, I almost was thinking as you were uh, winding into this question that if I was in the position where I was being asked to have a day off, I'd feel bad for the guys that had to play. Um, because we all have the camaraderie 
uh, you know, like the three musketeers, one for all and all for one. And I think it, it, it's a little bit dangerous to set up a pecking order. That being said, times have changed and players uh, have a, a, a much more um, uh, the ability to advocate for their own health and their healthiness. Um, I personally think it probably now, given on what the late developments uh, of the last two, last night's game, um, a couple of guys that banged up. In hindsight, it might have been wise to just hold everybody off. But in the meantime, the Rangers were playing for uh, overall first place. And I, I think they take a lot of pride in that, the coaching staff and, and the players, and rightly so. And um, so it's an interesting, I think, net-net, it depends probably on you know, who the players are, the sense of the room. I get a sense that this room is really tight. Um so I'm not sure anybody would be terribly upset if the top players uh, were asked to, to have the night off. So it, it probably prudently makes sense, but I know there's not a player that um, isn't, uh, is in that room that doesn't think he's in the room because he's playing in the best league in the world and he wants to continue to do that. So it's like a lot of things. Um, it's subject to, you know, a really fair debate on both sides of the coin. I, the, the way that I think about it is, Guys like Panarin and Cop, who came out of Tuesday night's game because they're a little banged up, it probably makes sense to be careful with them. But I could very easily see, I think of the four guys on the team who have a chance to play all 82. That would be Mika, Kreider, uh, Keandre Miller, and Jacob Truba. I have a feeling, though, I asked Truba about that a few days ago. I have a feeling they want to play all 82 if they have the chance to do it. They take a lot of pride in that. But I think there's other guys where if you know that they're dealing with something minor, you know, why risk it at this point, I guess, is my is my opinion. Yeah, no, and it's fair. It's, I think that's a fair opinion. I think that's at the end of the day, you respect uh, the people are in the position to make the, make the decision. And that would be uh, the training staff and uh, Gerard Gallant, uh, Gallant, of course. So, um, but no, I, I think that's fair. I, I don't, I, I think it's fair to think that hey, uh, a guy has a chance to play all 82. And he wants to play, play. And, if there's something else going on, then uh, maybe he weren't. And now again, they're going to jump right in after it. Um, come this, uh, you know, it's going to start Monday or Tuesday. So there's yep. not an awful lot of time. So, yep. but it is, I think every team you look at Washington, Ovechkin didn't play last night. It looks like he's banged up. Uh, although the goalie, uh, uh, was good last night. You know, there's some concern there for their goaltenders. Um, so I think everybody, everybody's going to deal with it. And then it's amazing at the end of the run. And regardless if it's the first round or you go to the finals, how, how banged up you find out teams really were. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's a, it's a legitimate thing. And uh, it'll be interesting from a ranger standpoint to see how it all plays out. Really. Now for, for someone like I have a, some specific questions, but yeah. generally let's start here. You've been following the team all year. Mm-hmm. what jumps out to you about this group? What comes to your mind first and foremost, when you think of these 21, 22 Rangers? Uh, well, it was a tremendous growth story uh, for me. And the growth is, is how they played is they didn't have to rely on uh, Igor to, to the rescue every single shift. And then that development somehow to get basically a, an East West team, to buy into the fact that going north-south is really how you have to play. And, you know, there's a, 
European um, influence on the team with Mika and, and uh, Artemi, two of the top players, which are, are generally uh, East-West players. They like to move it sideways and create gaps in that way, where um, by and large, the playoffs is not a time for, for that. It's a very simple, straightforward game. And I think, you know, as the season went along, uh, I was quite impressed with how they were playing. So those people and with legitimate reasons uh, who observed the Rangers from afar and thought that it was an all Sturkin show. And there was, and, and I guess the analytics and, and analytics to me should pose more questions. I don't think analytics have answers, uh, but I think they do pose more questions. Um, and uh, so in the analytic world, a lot of people were beaten up on them and you can justify it as such. But those analytics got better as the season went along. And I, I just think it was a really, it was a, it was a story that um, who knew there was a lot of moving, new moving parts coming in, but I think it's a credit to the, the Gerard Gallant uh, in particular, the job he's done in instilling the fact uh, that you have to play a certain way to be successful long-term. And to me, it looks like they've all bought into it. I think it's a great job. Yeah, and, and you, you know the analytics are definitely better recently. But even you, you look at some of the simple stats since the trade deadline. They rank third in the league in fewest goals allowed per sixty minutes at even strength, and they were the first. They they are the best team in the league since the trade deadline as far as allowing the fewest shots on goal. So they're not allowing many goals. They're allowing the fewest amount of shots in the league, and that, and that's a pretty stark contrast from what we saw from this team early on in the season. So I think that's all positive. We've seen the recent improvement. Even Jacob Truba said it last night. This team, since the trade deadline, is playing its best hockey. Now, they've lost a couple in a row, but guys are banged up. They're clinched. Right. I don't think you can buy too deep, too no. deep into that. But the trade deadline, to me especially, and, and really the second half of the season, but even more so since the trade deadline, I feel like they've played their best hockey. Yeah, and uh, I, I certainly would agree with that. I think it's been... Um... Uh, a, a story I've often thought, and to me, I, um, although I just cast my vote for coach of the year, um, to me, I'm shocked that Gallant, uh, Gallant doesn't get more uh, of a recognition for the job he's done. Um, you know, he's got a particular style, and, uh, and I don't think it's aloofness. I don't think it's anything but a guy that's got a pretty simple approach to how the game should be played. And I think there are times he wonders why people make it so complicated. Um, but um, so there's no question. It's um, there's a lot of things going. And again, if you've got all your people healthy, uh, that gives you the best chance to win. And when it comes playoff time, that's the factor of health and goaltending and stuff that comes into play. Um, so there's no question that they're playing more of a game now. Uh, that they have a chance to extend their season uh, than, you know, teams of recent time, for sure. One other thing you touched on that, that I find interesting, and, and I think that it, it is very true that the team has, over the course of the season, it's been clear that they bought more into Gallant's system. They're definitely playing more north-south, a, a more simple game, very committed defensively. You could see it in the way that the forwards are back checking. It just feels like more of a, of a team game that they're playing. And that's, I think in large part, a, a good thing for the vast majority of the roster. But you also touched on the guy like Panarin, who we had a really interesting conversation with last week, where he told us that 
early in the season, he was trying to play north south. He was trying to stick in his lane on the left wing and play up and down and dump the puck and, and do the things that Gallant wants. But he came to a point during the season when he had the realization that for him to be special, for him to be the, the top best player that he can be, he needs to have free reign to go east west sometimes to make those seam passes to be all over the ice to hold the puck for long stretches because he does those things better than pretty much anybody else in the world so for i feel like he was saying for him a key in the playoffs is going to be making sure that he doesn't completely abandon what makes him so good so i'm curious for your thoughts on that that you know you could have a team that for the most part plays north south but you also have an outlier like Panarin who's so good and so special that you can kind of let him do his thing and understand that that's going to help you produce more offense in the long run. Well, it's interesting. I can, uh, can't help but think of the time we were talking to John Tortorella when Artemi was in Columbus. And, you know, Torts was as strict a taskmaster as there is. And he said, listen, I'm not going to tell him uh, that he has to block shots. I'm not going to tell him um, he has to play a certain way because that's the way you play that, you know, I'm shooting myself in the foot. Uh, that being said, uh, if you're turning the puck over to, in to dangerous situations more often than not, you certainly have to be reminded. And I, it, it, you know, not being in the room or not being privy to any conversation that Artemi may or may not have, I suspect there was a conversation between he and the head coach uh, that, there's a happy medium there. I mean, they're going, Mika's going to be allowed a lot more rope than Philip Hedl at this stage of his career. And that's, you know, and the room understands that. Like uh, the room understands that the top players are going to have a little more rope than others. So I think once again, it was interesting to listen to Artemi last week. Um, uh, I think he is a very creative player as he is a creative personality and I think he should be allowed uh the luxury of of uh speaking because his results at the end of the day it's a results driven business and the guy has 90 some odd points um and he's been a hell of a player for this club it's just a matter of finding that happy medium uh he's going to have and he's going to create more opportunities more dangerous opportunities then perhaps not such a creative player will. Uh, and yet, at the end of the day, it's, it's at the end of the day, did he make more good plays than not? And I think, by and large, you can rest assured that he will make more good plays than not with respect to everything else that's going on. Yeah, he, to me, he's been he's been awesome in the last mm-hmm. month or so. He, he's yeah. taken it up a notch for sure. And you could see that he just seems to be more comfortable. He seems to be playing with a little more freedom and that creativity that you speak out has been shining for him recently. I want to switch gears a little bit. You being a former defenseman looking at this decor, because when you look at the forwards, you know, the, the key players have been the same all season, but there's been a lot of movement as far as line combinations and figuring out who fits where the top four has been as steady as she goes all season Fox and Lindgren, you know, I think a lot of people obviously with Fox being the Norris Trophy winner looked at them as the top pair come coming into the season. Fox has had another great season. I don't think quite at the level of last year, especially to me, since he came back from that injury. I, I feel like there's been I don't want to call it slippage, but I, to me, he's looked a little bit not 100 percent like himself at all times. You still see plenty of flashes of it. 
But him and Lindgren are guys that I think there's a probably pretty decent chance you might see them get a night off in one of these last two games. And then on the other hand, Keandre Miller, to me, has absolutely taken off in the second half of the season. Jacob Trouba is having his best year as a, as a Ranger. And the four of them all together have given the Rangers a really solid top four. So just your thoughts on all those guys. Well, first, uh, well, let's start with uh, Adam Fox. This, this would be his first full 82 game or what he missed, two, three? Yeah, a couple, his yeah. Full, full season and played under the scrutiny of being the defending Norris Trophy candidate. Yep, yep. And I, I think, you know, when you move up the ladder, it doesn't get easier. And how do you handle it moving up the ladder? Uh, I, I think the next steps for Adam in his career will be, it's not so much uh, that he has to be dominant this playoff run, but how does he handle the fact that now for 10 days to two weeks, uh, the opposition is going to go after him, yep. particularly if they play Washington. Um, the, uh, I have every, um, every bit of faith that past will, he'll figure it out to me. It's not that he hasn't been as, and last season being an anomaly, 56 games against seven teams, uh, no travel. Uh, you know, again, I think there are adjustments along the way, not to certainly alibi or excuse the fact that he did win the Norris, but it was not a regular season. Mm-hmm. That being said, it was a season for everyone else too, right? So I think from uh, Adam Fox's standpoint, um, he's jumping from nine hundred grand to nine million, and <laughs> the, the ex- expectations, which we all have to manage, but can't help be thought of it in those terms. For the long term, uh, I think it's important that he have a successful season, uh, postseason. So how does that success manifest itself? Is he able to control the play like he can uh, with the six inches between his right and left ear? But again, uh, if, you know, last year I had the opportunity to do the uh, Islander-Tampa conference finals for national radio. Watching the Islanders uh, and and the Bruins, or watching how the Islanders went after Charlie McAvoy in, in the Bruins series, those are the things that now Adam's going to have to deal with. And, and I think, so as far as him being a key guy back there, there's no, and I, I, and it's not for me, it's not a good or bad, whether this or that, I think for his evolution, he's only going to know how to handle those situations till he gets there. To me, he seems a tad bored with what's going on. I think he's ready for a new challenge. Uh, I think I thought last night he played firm and solid. Uh, against a team that comes unbelievably hard. Um, so I, I have every bit of faith he's going to be a good player in the playoffs. And now uh, Lindgren is a solid, solid player. He's a solid complement. The two of them have an uncanny knack of knowing where the other is to either be the first outlet or the last outlet. They just, they, they always, it's uncanny to watch the two of them play because really physically, uh, they're not the bigger, unlike the other pair, right? Yeah. So I think as a pair, um, I, and often, not often are they apart, but they aren't the same player when they are apart as they are as when they play together. Uh, there's no question to me the most competitive guy game in, game out uh, for this Ranger team all season long has been Jacob Truba. Um, I think he, he and Chris Kreider, to me, are two guys 
that have kind of come into a comfort level. They just seem to be much more comfortable in who they are, the role that's expected, uh, the role they've played. And uh, to me, uh, Truba has been great. He got one of my MVP votes uh, on the season. Um, I just think he's been he's been competitively the most com consistent competitive player on the club day in, day out. And I often thought, too, when the Rangers had all the picks uh, going back, uh, you, you, what you hope you have happen is you get one stud out of that deal that's going to carry the franchise, that's going to carry his position. Um, and then if you get two, two other players that are significant contributors, let alone filtering down, then you've done a pretty good job. I'd be hard pressed. Now, Lafreniere has been, he, he's been progressively better. There's no question, not that I thought he was bad, but he's now becoming a player you go, oh boy, he's going to make things happen. But Keandre Miller to me has been an absolute horse for a sophomore defenseman. And, you know, the mistakes, the critical, the criticisms that he suffered from uh, apparently early, um, I would, ne would never had a problem with him because he was a young defenseman in the National Hockey League that uh, has all the skills to be a dominant player. And I, I just think he, if, if, if that all along, if he had a mean streak at all, um, he'd be Chris Pronger. He, he just, he, he gets to the puck. He uses his stick. He can handle the puck. He makes a great first pass. I just think that the upside for him is really unlimited. If you kind of take it all in perspective that, that he has plenty ahead of him, the more he learns, how much smarter does he get? Um, so I wouldn't disagree that they've got four defensemen. Actually, they've got five. Uh, the, uh, Schneider's going to be good, too. Yeah. Schneider's just, Schneider's just young, but he shows all kinds of promise. So an area of the ice, I think maybe there was some concern, um, and it still might be true in the playoffs. There's not a lot of experience back there, but you're only going to get the experience by being there. So I think they're in good shape now and moving forward on the blue line. You touched on the top five. Just quickly, if you have an opinion, I don't know if you have an opinion or not, but between Nemeth and Braun, would you lean one way or the other for who plays in that sixth spot? No, no. I, yeah, I, it's, Braun, it feels like a. Yeah, I mean, it feels right? like he's leaning towards Nemeth based yeah. on just the way he's been using him. Yeah, it seems that way. And again, the coach is going to have, he's going to have trust in players for whatever reason he have, has. I used to, uh, you know, I was quite involved when my kids were playing a coaching aspect. And, and innately, there are just people you're going to trust in a certain situation than others. And, and, uh, and it seems to me there are a couple of guys in the roster that the coach has that pe other people may not may wonder why they're in the lineup as much as they are. So, but that's, that's why the coaches and management get paid the big bucks to make the decisions they make. I, I actually like, I think Braun's a little more mobile, but yep. the problem is Braun has to play on a side he's never played on. You know, he's a right-handed shot. He's never played the left side. Yep. So that's probably why Nemeth gets the, uh, at least the nose's uh, edge of uh, spot in that position. The, the lineup in a lot of ways feels like it's been set for a couple of weeks now. I think the one main question that I get asked all the time and mm -hmm. that to me is sort of the most intriguing is it's a big if, but if everybody is healthy, if cock right. goes back and mm -hmm. cop and, and, and heedle and they have everybody ready to go, 
it looks like they've got 10 forwards for nine spots in that top nine. You, you right. know that the, the top lines of Banajad, Kreider, Vetrano, and the, and the other line of Panarin, Strom, Kopp looks like it's set. Now, you you know, if you wanted to shake things up, could you could you swap one of those guys out, move one of the young guys up to kind of balance the lineup more? That's an interesting question. But the way that it looks right now is right. you've got the three young guys, Kako, Hedl, Lafreniere, and then you've got Barclay Goudreau, who, you know, fans will look at and he doesn't have the skill or, or the, the upside or the flashy talent that the young guys have. But it looks to me, and I think it's justified, that Gallant likes the balance of having that veteran presence, that battle-tested guy, right. as somebody on that third line who can win wall battles, who's going to retrieve pucks, who's going to play good defense, who can take a key face-off for you. So... When you have those 10 guys for nine spots, in your mind, what do you think is the best way to play it? Well, it, it, I think, again, um, I would have Goudreau in the lineup. There's no question. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess the question would be you yeah. could drop him to the fourth yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. That's, that would be probably the option best served. If, in, if Kako's 100% healthy and ready to go, uh, I think you go Heedle, Lafreniere, Kako, and you put uh, Goudreau in the spot there, knowing that he's not going to play there the whole game. If if Heedle's having trouble in the middle uh, on faceoffs, if Kako's losing, you know, the, the board, or even uh, Al, or even uh, Lafreniere, I think you have that option, which would be an option I I, I would think they'd use sooner than later. Um, the thing that would be really curious uh, is when Mott, um, if he can play, uh, you know, that the fourth line then becomes, or it's the fourth rotation. You know, again, I think you have to have with Goudreau, you have to have him in the lineup. Um, he's going to get, he's not, he if, if the team is winning and he's getting 10 minutes, okay, you know, it's working. But I, I don't think that's in the scene. I, I think he'll probably get 16 minutes between penalty 16, 7, 6, somewhere in there, moving him around in certain situations. So I think that that probably would be how uh, one could look at it. Just keep him in the lineup, have him in that spot, knowing that he's going to find minutes and times of ice time in other areas. I just... I, something tells me, and we have we had not seen them together all season. So something with the Lafreniere, Heedle, Kako line, you know, are, is that a line with as much talent as they have? Is that a line that you're really going to trust in the playoffs? Are they too redundant? Is there, you know, is there enough of a diverse skill set on that line to feel like they're well rounded and they're going to be able to play in all situations? I wonder, and, and the fact that Gallant hasn't used them together all season also adds to my curiosity. And when we did see those three together last season, I didn't think the results were great. So they're all better now. They're old. They're all year older now. But I, I, when they first made the trade, what I wondered was, would you stick Kako maybe back in the top right. six? Could you play him with Panarin and Strom? And if you put Cop on that third line with Hedl and Lafreniere, all of a sudden, to me, those top three lines look a lot more balanced. Whereas right now, if you have the kids on the third line, I think you're really relying on those top two lines. So I, I, I'm very curious to see how he's going to play it. I think you're right. I, I think 
the most logical way would be to stick the kids out there, see what happens. And if you need to make an in-game change, that's what you do. Cause you know, Goudreau can fit anywhere. So playing him on the fourth line is no big deal, but I, I it's, it's a good problem to have, but it's also something that, you know, they have to make a decision on at some point. Well, again, if you're touching there, I'd probably move Vetrano back before uh-huh. I move pop off. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. I'd probably put uh Kako up with, which would be another option. I think that's the thing. I, I think you can figure out the 12 people that you're going to put in the lineup. Yeah. Right? And then it's just a matter of, okay. Uh, like I say, if everything's working and you're winning with the, with whatever setup it is, then you just leave it. So, you know, you raise, um, I think that's valid, I think. But I, Vetrano might be the first, I think I'd leave because Cops seems to have figured out, um, it, uh, you know, playing with Artemi and, and Ryan. So it might be Vetrano. Uh, yeah. So, but I think we probably could agree that the 12 that are in the lineup, probably will be the 12. It's just a matter of the configuration. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at this point with the playoffs so close, like we're fixating on these little details that we want to see how they're going to, you know, how they're going to play it out. That's, that's really to me been like the only question about the lineup. I think we can see Nemeth in that last spot on defense. And then it's just, how are you going to line up the forwards? So interesting stuff. And we'll be hearing you talk about it and, and all the rest of the guys on MSG network looking forward to it, Dave, really, really appreciate the time. I know we're all, it's been a long season, but it's been a fun season. Definitely yeah. for me, the most interesting season that I've covered in a lot of ways. L- last year, there was more drama, but this year there's been more winning. Uh, so, so I think the, the, the winning is more enjoyable for yeah. everybody. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so we really appreciate the time, Dave, and, and looking forward to, to the playoffs. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you pretty much, you know, every day for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, hopefully it's an extended period. Good luck with the little guy. And I know it sounds like you're moving around a little bit. So you got a lot going on in your life. Thanks for having me on and keep up the good work. And we'll see you ringside. And we're back. Big thanks to Dave for taking the time to come on the show before we get really, really busy, as we all will be for at least another week, could be another two months, <laughs> who knows, that is very much up in the air as far as how much uh, all of us that cover the team are going to be working, which is kind of a, another weird, exciting part about all this. And the other thing also on top of that is like, where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> I've had hotels booked in multiple cities for a while. I can finally cancel the Tampa and Boston, but I'm still waiting to find out if I'm going to Pittsburgh or Washington. The good thing for me about Washington is I do have family down there or my in-laws down there. My sister-in-law lives right outside of DC with her husband, my brother-in-law. So actually, if the Rangers end up playing the Capitals, I'm probably taking the family down there for that first weekend where games three and four will be. And I know that a lot of the family is very much pulling for that matchup, but otherwise I'll be off on a flight to Pittsburgh and, and all that. So kind of interesting right now, just like from, I mean, you guys probably don't care about this, but from my perspective, I'm like, well, where am I going to be in a week? I'd like to know sooner than later, but we're going to have to wait at least a few more days to find out. But again, touched on a lot of different stuff with Dave and really, really appreciate the time. And with that, we are going to shift to Twitter questions. And got, got a, a few good ones this week. I'm going to run through them here quickly. We'll start with Peter Fontana, who wrote, Durability is a concern. 
Do you think the next man up depth has enough scoring punch to cover a top six piece going down? The Rangers are one injury away from Hunt in the top six with Gallant's penchant for promoting bottom sixers rather than inserting an AHL scorer. Bradzinski a better choice? Question mark. Well, Peter, I would say a couple things on that. As far as inserting an AHL scorer, that's not really Gallant's call. He doesn't decide who gets called up. That's Chris Drury's call who gets called up. Gallant gets to decide based on who is on the active roster who he gets to put in the lineup. I mean, I'm sure he could lobby for an AHL guy, but I don't think that there's anybody in the AHL who's going to come up and start scoring a lot of goals in the NHL. Bradzinski was the leading scorer for Hartford this season, and I think he had one goal with the Rangers. He got to play a handful of games, and, and there wasn't a whole lot of scoring coming from him in those situations. Granted, he played on the fourth line, but I don't think you're going to stick him in the top six and all of a sudden get a whole bunch of goals. The other point I would make on this is that I don't think the Rangers are one injury away from having an issue as far as their scoring or their lineup construction. I really think it's two injuries. And we've talked about it before. You just heard me talk about it with Dave. They do have what we consider 10 guys for nine spots in the top nine right now. So you could withstand an injury, and I think it would be okay. Now, if the injury is Panarin, Kreider, or Zabanajad, you're in trouble no matter who your depth is. But... You know, if more of a secondary piece goes down, I mean, I I don't want to speculate or even jinx a guy by mentioning a name, but if one of the kids or even Strom or even Cop, I mean, you really don't want to lose Cop with how well he's played since he's come to the Rangers. But I think in those situations, you know, you could move a Kako or a Lafreniere up and feel like, okay, we still have a fighting chance. Or if you need to play Gaudreau on the third line, I think you feel pretty good about that. This is a guy that won two cups as a third liner in Tampa. So the alternatives for the Rangers, if they have one injury, I think are okay. They have the depth to withstand that. If they suffer two injuries in that top nine, that's where I think it becomes a little more problematic. And that's where you might have to see somebody like a Dryden Hunt or even a Julian Gauthier step into the lineup. I, I don't think you're going to see Gauthier in these playoffs by any stretch. But ideally, Hunt is a fourth liner for you. I think he works really well as a fourth liner. And I think the Rangers would feel very comfortable with a fourth line of Hunt, Rooney, and Reeves. It might be Goudreau down there, in which case you pick two out of three from Rooney, Hunt, and Reeves. That, that's a really good situation to be in. But when you have to start promoting those guys up, that's a little more uh, of an issue. And the only way that I think you're going to see a guy like Hunt move up is with two injuries, not one. So the Rangers definitely are in a better depth spot than they were prior to the trade deadline. But listen, I mean, if you lose, if any team loses two of their top nine forwards in the playoffs, that's not going to be a good situation. So you just got to keep your fingers crossed that that doesn't happen. And you also have to do everything in your power in these last two regular season games to make sure the guys are as healthy as possible going into the playoffs. All right. Next question comes from Rob Simmons, who wrote, my brother seems to think Strom is likely a goner this offseason. Given Officer Andy's versatility, I'm assuming Officer Andy is Andrew Kopp, younger UFA age, seemingly instant chemistry with Panarin, and the real possibility he represents cap savings over Strom, I agree. What do you think? What are you hearing? 
Well, Rob, I wrote a column that came out on Monday where I dove into all this. And this is probably the last time I'm going to address this until after the season is over. I want to try to keep the the focus on the playoffs in, in these next few weeks, at least until either the Rangers are eliminated or the Rangers have won the Cup, whatever happens first. I'm, I'm going to kind of avoid some of the free agency stuff in the time being. I just feel like that's a fair thing to do. But I did raise the question for one final time in my column on Monday, which is the reality of the situation that I think everybody around the team and, and a lot of you who have been following closely are well aware of. And that is that the Rangers are going from a situation this season where they have a lot of cap space to a situation next season where they're going to be extremely tight on cap space. And what that means is that as far as deciding who their second line center is going to be, they're going to have to make a choice. It's either Strom, Cop, or Other. They cannot keep both, and it's going to make it really unlikely for them to bring back a guy like Frank Vetrano. The Rangers have very limited money to work with as far as next season. You guys know that. We've talked about this before. So I wrote about Strom versus Cop which one at this point might make more sense, what I'm hearing, what where the Rangers might be leaning. I think the Rangers are very much TBD right now, waiting to see how it plays out. But given how well Cop has played since he got here, I have heard that they are definitely intrigued and seriously considering him as an option. Now, you touch on the price tag as well. You guys heard Scott Bellick talk about this on the podcast right after the trade deadline. Scott covers the Winnipeg Jets. Cop had been looking for a number around $5 million per season to re-sign with the Jets. The Jets weren't willing to give that to him, which is why he ultimately ended up being traded. So if you look at Cop as a $5 million a year player, that would be perfect for the Rangers. That's exactly the kind of money they're looking to spend on a second-line center in an ideal scenario. But... My question now moving forward, and this is a question that nobody has an answer to yet, is because of how well Cop has played in this top six role with the Rangers, averaging over a point per game, you have to believe the price tag has gone up from that $5 million figure. And if he goes on and has a really good showing in the playoffs, then you're only going to keep watching that number go up. So while initially the belief was he would be slightly cheaper than Strom to re-sign. That could be changing. We don't know what his final number is going to end up being because the better he plays, the more of a right he has to ask for more money. Strom, we've reported on this before. The Rangers were trying to get him re-signed earlier this season. They definitely made a push to do so. They were hoping for something in that five to five and a half million dollar per year range. Strom wasn't willing to accept those terms. And so they did not come to a deal for an extension prior to the trade deadline. And now Strom is heading toward unrestricted free agency, just as Cop is. So the Rangers are definitely still interested in both. I think they'd be happy with either one of them moving forward as their second line center if the price is right. But if either one of those guys is looking to go more up into the six, six and a half, whatever it might be, range per year as far as millions of dollars on an average annual value, well, then that might push them out of the Rangers price range and the Rangers might have to consider other options, whether it's making a trade, whether it's signing a free agent, although as we've talked about on previous episodes, 
the free agent class, if you look at the top centers, none of them are going to come for $5 million a year. So do they find a compromise somewhere? Do they go for a lesser known guy and hope that he can play up in that role? It's it's a tough call for them to make. It really is. And, and in the cop versus Strom debate right now, I could make an argument either way. Cop to me is the more well-rounded player. Bigger, stronger, better defensively, does a better job of getting to those dirty areas, does a better job on the PK, face-offs, a lot of the little things that we know that Gerard Gallant and Chris Drury really value. But Strom, I still do view as the higher upside offensive guy. And Strom, more so recently, he's gotten a little more credit, but I think in the past maybe didn't get enough credit for how much of a leadership role he plays in that locker room, how much of a glue guy he is. And everybody knows how tight he is with Panarin. So we know Panarin would probably like him to stay around. So how much does that factor into the Rangers' decision, I think is is a part of this equation that needs to be considered. So the scales really can tip either way. For me, if one guy is clearly going to end up being cheaper than the other, that might give that guy the edge. Because if all things are equal, it's a tough call. But if you know one guy is going to cost X amount and you know another guy is going to cost less than that between Cop and Strom, well, that might give them an edge in negotiations. But listen, there's a long way to go here. How do both these guys perform in the playoffs? Does one of them really look good in the playoffs and the other one not so much? Well, obviously, that's going to then become a factor in making a final decision as well. So I think it's too early for me to say definitively the Rangers prefer this guy or that guy. But... The money is definitely going to be a really important part of this. And for Cop, the question is going to be, okay, he's racking up points in this small sample size with the Rangers, but we've seen his points trending up slightly year by year. He's on a 60-point pace this year. If you could sign up for that guy putting up 60 or so points, maybe more if he's playing regularly with Panarin, and bringing all the other aspects of his game that make him such a well-rounded player – he might end up being your preference. But again, Strom is more of a proven commodity here. Strom is a guy who you know meshes with Panarin. And Strom is a guy who has not been productive for one year offensively. It's been three straight years where he has been one of the driving forces of your offense. He's not on the Kreider, Zabanajad Panarin level, but he's right a notch below them. He's been a really important player for this team for three straight seasons now. And, and you can't discount that just as you can't discount the fact that he's an important guy in that locker room. So a lot of things to consider. And the good news for the Rangers is that they, they, they don't have to make a decision yet. But trust me, this is probably going to be priority number one, decision number one. The focal point of the, of the offseason is going to be what do they do at center, knowing that these two key forwards are both heading to free agency for them and knowing that their cap situation, again, is is super tight. So trust me, we're going to have a lot of coverage around that. I'm sure I'm going to write about it plenty after the season is over, but it's a very interesting conversation. I'd be lying to you if I said it, it isn't something that I've talked to a bunch of people about. It isn't something that I've put a lot of thought into already. But like I said, for now, we're going to kind of keep the focus on the playoffs, knowing that the performance of each guy will really be influential as far as what they do moving forward and then we'll we'll circle back on this I'm quite sure once the season is over all right let's do one more question here this one comes from Chris Morin who wrote what do you think 
the Rangers' biggest weakness going into the playoffs is? And where do you think it will hurt them? He wrote in parentheses then, five-on-five high-danger scoring chances against, in my opinion. Chris, I would probably have agreed with you on that point earlier in the season. But if you look at the numbers, and I touched on some of them with Dave, since the trade deadline, the Rangers rank right either at the top of the league or very close to the top of the league in the amount of goals that they're allowing is in the fewest, the amount of shots that they're allowing, and the amount of scoring chances that they're allowing. They have really, really tightened things up in a noticeable way if you're watching the games and in a very noticeable way if you're looking at the stats and the analytics and all that stuff. So they're passing the eye test, the analytics test, everything right now. The defense is much, much improved since the trade deadline. Part of that is it's just a deeper, better team since the trade deadline. But I think another part of it that Dave touched on is that the team is more experienced under Gallant now. They've bought into his system fully. They understand his system better than they did early in the season. Not that it's a complicated system, but I just think getting all of the guys on the same page and getting them all to play that way and all to commit to really a lot of the effort things that Gallant wants. Gallant had a quote recently that I thought stood out to me where he said he thinks more than half of playing defense in this league is just effort. Are you back-checking hard? Are you forechecking hard? Are you battling for loose pucks? Are you clearing guys out of the slot? It's all things that you just have to be fully committed to to execute properly. And I think the Rangers have done a much better job on that as the season has progressed. Now, with all that being said, as far as weaknesses for the playoffs, five-on-five play is definitely an area of concern. You want to see this improvement defensively continue, but you also want to see the Rangers continue to score at a better rate at five on five, because quite frankly, for me, prior to the deadline, that was my biggest question with with this team was, do they have enough scoring at five on five, specifically secondary scoring? You know Panarin, you know Zabanajad, you know Kreider are going to produce, but beyond that, do the Rangers have enough secondary scoring? Are they going to get scoring from their bottom six? Are they going to be able to take some pressure off their key guys? Those things are really important for me too. So I think five-on-five play in general is a question, but specifically, are they going to do enough scoring? And while the secondary scoring is probably at the top of the list, you also want to see guys like Panarin and Zabanajad produce in the playoffs because the last time they made the... We're not quite calling it playoffs. They count as playoff stats, but it's not technically a playoff game. It's all confusing, whatever you want to call this bubble play-in situation that they had in 2020. But even though it was only three games, the Rangers got run out of the building and their top players got smothered in that series. So you, you need two things. You need the secondary scoring, but you also need Panarin and Zabanajad and Kreider to be at the top of their game. You need all the success that they've had in the regular season to translate to the postseason. And we talked about this on last week's episode with Panarin in particular. I think that means not changing the way that they play because the playoffs and, you know, time and space gets cut down and, you know, they're going to be playing against opponents that are on top of them and they're going to have to play more of a straight line game. That's all true to an extent, but I also think that they have to do 
what they're best at, do what makes them good. And for Panarin, that's going to mean using his creativity to the best of his ability and making some of those pretty passes and those plays that make you drop your jaw, like even we saw against Carolina on Tuesday, that will translate to offense for the Rangers. So they need the big guys to show up and they need the bottom six guys to chip in some timely goals on occasion. That's all going to be really important for this team. And then the last thing that I would mention here is that while five-on-five play was clearly the, the top area of concern for the majority of the season, while the special teams were outstanding, the power play has not been as potent in the last handful of weeks as it was for the majority of the season. So while the five-on-five play has improved, I think the special teams have seen a little bit of a dip. So you also want to see that power play clicking on all cylinders what like it was for the first I don't know, four or five months of the season. For a while, they were the second-ranked power play in the entire league. They dropped back. I haven't looked in the last few days, but last time I checked, they were fifth. So they had dropped back a little bit. Still a great year overall for the power play, don't get me wrong. But you do want to see that when you get those power play opportunities, you cash in. They didn't do it against Carolina on Tuesday night. I think they went 0 for 4. And it just doesn't feel like they've been as consistent as they were early in the season recently. So... I guess I just rattled off a lot of things. I don't know if that was a direct answer to your question, but five-on-five play overall is definitely a concern. Getting scoring, both from your top players and secondary scoring, because the secondary scoring in particular I thought was a real weakness for this team prior to the trade deadline, and then getting the power play on track. Those are are three things that all pop up in my mind when I'm thinking about keys for the Rangers in in these playoffs. All right. That is going to do it for me for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, we will be back next week to talk about what's happened so far in the playoffs. If game one is on Monday and then game two is on Wednesday, I would probably record on Thursday and release Friday morning. So it would be in advance of game three would be the next episode. But if game one is on Tuesday, then I'm going to record on Wednesday and release it Thursday in advance of game two. So so I hope I didn't confuse anybody with that. But that is kind of the loose plan right now. I'll keep you guys posted via Twitter and all that. So, so we'll definitely let you know. But again, relish this moment. Keep everybody healthy. Let's get excited. Let's get amped up. Let's get those nerves going. All the jitters and stuff that comes with the playoffs. It's almost here. I'm super excited to cover it. I'm sure you guys are super excited to watch it. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be interesting because it could go a lot of different ways. And and that's what makes this time of year so fun. So I will be back next week. I hope you guys enjoy it. In the meantime, get your rest and relaxation in because you know your stress levels are going to be amped up next week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Dave for coming on the show. And I will talk to everybody next week.